So I, I know one of the questions on your mind as you go through your week is, how brilliant is Doug, right? I mean, a lot of you guys think that, right? I know a lot of you, how brilliant is this, this individual? And, and I'm going to tell you tonight how brilliant I am, okay? I am so brilliant that I, I wrote a message for tonight that's going to offend every single person in the room, okay? So that's how brilliant I am. This is wonderful. But here's what we're going to do, because uh, I want you to come back next week, okay? And so what we're going to do is, is we're going we're gonna to shake on the fact that you're going to come back next week before you get offended. So everybody put out your arm like this. We're going to air shake. Come on, come on, do it. I'm not joking. Okay, on the count of three, we're going to air shake. One, two, three, we air shake. Good job. Okay, so you're coming back next week. Now, there's three reasons you can come back next week. The first one is, is I'm not going to be here. And so, uh, no, actually, I will be back next Sunday, but it's not going to be a night where you're going to hear me speak. I'm going to be away next week and speaking at a retreat for another church. But, but I'll be back Sunday night, and we're going to be actually doing a, bat, a couple of baptisms. And then also, we're going to be doing a worship night around that. And so we're really pumped about next Sunday. But you won't be hearing from me like normal next week, so you can come back, you know, and you don't have to worry about hearing from me again. There's another good reason, though, and the second good reason that you should come back next week is because I rarely talk about the things that I'm going to talk about tonight. So we're going to talk about some tricky stuff tonight, and if you're not a follower of Jesus or you haven't been to church in a long time, you're like, yeah, this is the stuff that I knew that they talked about at church. This is why I don't go to church, because they talk about this stuff, and it seems like all they talk about. Well, you can ask anybody in the room around that comes every week, and they'll tell you I rarely ever talk about the things we're going to talk about, but they need to be talked about, and so we're going to talk about them tonight. A third reason you should come back is because the things I'm going to talk about tonight are not the point, and that's the point. They're not the point. The things that divide us are not the point. There's something greater that unites us, and that's our love for Jesus and our relationship with him. And so we are going to be talking about this continued series, Straw Cab, and, and Straw Cab is an uh, herb found in the depths of the Caspian Sea. And uh, No, I'm kidding. It's, it's the word backwards, backwards. That's all that is. And the reason that we named our series Straw Cab is because as Christians, we so often get things straw cab. We so often get things backwards. God says, hey, do it this way, and we kind of do it our own way. We get things backwards. And so we've talked for a few weeks about this now, right? We talked in week one about how as Christians so often we walk around thinking, I got little specks of dust in my eye, but everybody else, man, they got big issues in, in their life. It's like they have big planks in their eyes. Week one, we decided that this is the attitude we should have. The attitude we should have every time we enter a room is that my sin struggle is the biggest problem in this room. Not somebody else's, my sin struggle is the biggest deal. And then last week we talked about how Christians are not known for restoring people. That when people fall, when they make a mess of their life, Christians are not known for running to the messes and trying to help people become all that God would have them be. And that's backwards. We need to be those people. We need to be those people that restore messy people. And so last week we saw that true Christians restore messy people. People. Tonight I want to talk with you about something else that we get backwards as Christians. And it's this. We often have an allegiance to something higher than Jesus. Okay? We often act like we have an allegiance to something higher than Jesus. And one of the things I kind of want to highlight is with what's going on in our world around us, and we have this kind of crazy political race going on, right? Six and a half weeks until Election Day, November 8th. And I want to encourage you to all, all that you can. I know many of you guys are young, but if you can vote, vote, be there. But here's what I think so often happens in our world as Christians. It's like we have an allegiance higher than Jesus, and it's to our political party. Or if you're younger, it's almost to your parents' political party. You know, It's like, okay, my allegiance is to the Republicans or the Democrats, um, Libertarian, Conservative, whoever it is. My allegiance is there, 
And so I'm going to handle all the issues in life. The lens I look through is Republican. The lens I look through is Democrat. The, the lens I look, I look through is conservative or libertarian or whatever it might be. And so I see everything through that lens. So if you ask me a question about an issue, well, what does my party say? And I'm going to look at my party, and my party is going to dictate then how I react to that issue and to that person. But what about what Jesus says about that issue? Because Jesus may not say the same thing your party says, right? And I think we could all agree that there are plenty of things that, you know, some of the political parties get right, but there are also plenty of things they get wrong if you're asking how Jesus would interact with a situation or a person, right? And so, so often our allegiance is, well, I'm this or I'm that, and so I'm going to identify there first. It's almost like our identity is in our political party or our parents' political party more than it is in Jesus. And so, this is a problem for many reasons. First of all, if, if we live this way, then we're going to win very few people to Jesus, right? Why is that? Because our politics are so loud, no one can see Jesus in our lives, right? Your purpose here in the life you have on earth is to draw as many people to Jesus as you can, not to your political party. Now, hey, I say be political, like I said, or go vote. It's okay to like this candidate, not like that candidate. That's okay, but we have a higher allegiance than our political parties. And we have to see the world as Jesus would see the world, not just through the lens of our political party. Now, some of you guys would say, but Doug, I don't really feel like this is me. See, I feel like my allegiance is Jesus. Of course I would choose Jesus, choose Jesus over a political party or whatever it might be. Of course I would. But see, I guess the question is, is does the world around us, do our neighbors, do our coworkers, do the kids in our schools see Jesus more loudly from our lives or our political views? right? What do we talk about more? Jesus and the amazing Savior we have, or why my candidate is right and yours is wrong? You see, our allegiance sometimes comes off, even if we would say, no, I love Jesus. Even though we might believe that, and it might might be true of us, often what people feel from us, what they experience by being around us, is that our allegiance is really something else. And, and we're okay. Listen, we wouldn't say this out loud. But the way that we live is like, we're okay if they don't know Jesus as long as they know our stance. And that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of Jesus in all of this. And again, I think some of us, we just don't even realize it. We just don't think about this stuff. Um, my son Landon is eight years old. And Landon, especially when he was younger, he had a very specific way of talking. And so he would kind of slur his eshes, and he would kind of talk like this, and kind of monotone, and kind of like low like this. And, and so he would say something funny, and, and then one of us would retell the story, and we would talk like him. And then he would hear us talking in that way, and he would go, I don't talk like that. And we would go, well, you just talk like this, you know, like you just did it, you know. And, and the funny thing is, I think as Christians, we don't realize that sometimes we talk like this. <laughs> we don't realize that sometimes... Even though we think, oh, Jesus is everything and I'm all about him and I'm just being this shining light to the world, we don't realize that the message we're actually sending out to the world is Democrat, 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 Republican, Republican, Libertarian, Libertarian, Conservative, Conservative, when it should be Jesus, Jesus. And it's okay that we're those other things, but Jesus has to be the thing that's loudest about our lives. The other reason this is such a problem is that if we have this allegiance to our political party or our parents' political party, Party more than Jesus, then we're not going to handle the issues the way Jesus would, and we're not going to interact with the people who are affected by the issues like Jesus would, 
right? Because if I'm just looking through this lens of whatever my political party is, then I'm just going to simply say, well, this is what I think about that because that's what they say I should think about this. Or, but what about what Jesus says about it? See, Jesus would, I don't really think Jesus would be in any of the political parties. Like, I don't think he could run as a Republican, a Democrat, a conservative, a liberal. I don't think it works because Jesus looks at things that each of those parties would disagree with in a different way. Like, he looks at stuff and he says, no, I have a different way. Again, I understand it's difficult because we have to choose in a few weeks, and that's good. We should go, and we should choose and be involved. But what I'm saying is we have to be much more concerned about seeing things through the, the Jesus lens than the Republican or the Democrat, Democratic lens. And so, so let, me, let me say it this way. You ever been in science class, right, and you learn, right? And then you go to science lab. What do you do in science lab? You apply what you learned, right? So here's what I want the message to be tonight. The message tonight is first half is going to kind of be like science class where we learn something. I want you to get a new perspective. The second half of the message is going to be science lab where we take what we learn and apply it. And so here's what we're going to do. What you're going to learn today, I hope, is going to challenge the way that you view the world around you. And then we're going to take that new lens and we're going to look at four specific issues and say, okay, now that I have this new lens on, how would Jesus view these specific issues. The four issues we're going to look at are, are pretty intense. They're kind of the hot topics of today. Uh, one is abortion. What would Jesus say about abortion? Not what would Republicans or Democrats say about it or libertarians, but what would Jesus say about abortion? The next one is how we interact with people from other racial, ethnic backgrounds, from other countries. What would Jesus say about that? We know what the Republicans and the conservatives and libertarians and Democrats would say, but what would Jesus say? How would he interact with somebody from another country? What sensitivity level would he have toward where they are and where they, what they've been through? I mean, our nation's like ripping itself apart right now with racial tension, isn't it? How would Jesus speak into that? Not my political party. How would Jesus speak into that? We're going to talk about the LGTBQ community, which stands for the lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, queer community. How would Jesus interact with them? What would he have to say about them? What would he say to them? How would he interact? How would he have us interact with them? And what about helping the less fortunate? Those people who just don't have what we have for one reason or another. And so we're going to talk about these four things later on, and we're going to look at them through the lens that we're going to kind of learn here in science class. Okay, So we'll do lab later, now is science class, and we're going to work through this. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to see this, well, I don't go to church, they always talk about this stuff, and no, 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 see, I don't. You can ask anybody around. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about this tonight, and we're going to move on. We're going to move on to the next thing next week, and the week after, and the week after. And so this is not what we do every week and all the time. But once in a while, we've got to talk about some of this stuff. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I need to apologize to you, because I think that many of us, as followers of Jesus, have not understood rightly how to treat and love people we might disagree with. And so tonight, even though we might disagree about, with... Uh, about some things, and many of you may already kind of be feeling kind of tense and disagreeing with me on some things I've said, we have to learn how Jesus would treat the people with the opposing view, okay? And I think that as Christians, we've done that really badly. And so let me apologize to you. If you have not been able to get past that hurdle and put your trust in Jesus, 
Please forgive us, and please be willing to take a new, fresh look at Jesus tonight. And so, what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, okay? We're going to be in there for a while, and you guys know my normal style is to really drill down on one chapter or one passage, so we're going to do that, and that's going to kind of be science class, but then when we get into science lab, we're going to have to bounce around a little bit, a little bit later in the message, okay? But 1 Corinthians 1, and Paul wrote this letter to the, the Christians in Corinth, and basically here's what happened. Let's just say um, Paul went in the back row, the back row, he he went over to the back row and he said, okay, you're the people in Corinth? Okay, sweet. Well, you're going to be the church in Corinth, okay? And so Paul says, cool, here's what you do, here's how you have a church, here's what it looks like, and then he left to start another church. And when he left, the back row fell apart. No offense, back row, but the, the Corinthian church completely fell apart. I'm sure you'd be a much better church, back row, but they fell apart, okay? And when Paul was off doing his thing, trying to start a new church, Somebody ran into Paul and kind of said, things are a mess. It'd kind of be like this. You know, Pastor Pavone, who speaks here sometimes at night, uh, he's the founding pastor of this church. Forty years ago, started the church in his living room, right? And so two years ago, he handed the church over to me. And just imagine if everything had fallen apart. Some of you are like, it's all going to fall apart after this message tonight, Doug. Thank you very much. But let's just say it all fell apart, right? And one of you guys ran into Pastor Pavone in Whole Foods, and you're like, Pastor Pavone, that ball guy's ruining everything, Like, what are we going to do? You need to stop him. You need to do something. Help us. And he wrote a letter to the church. He's your living word church. Here's what we've got to do. That's what happened. Paul, somebody ran into him in Whole Foods and said, things are a mess. Help us out. Please. And he wrote 1 Corinthians in response to what was going on. And what's interesting here is, is we see just 10 verses in that they struggled with some of the th- same things we are talking about here tonight, struggling with. And it wasn't that they had allegiances to a political party. It was they had allegiances to certain church leaders that were greater than Jesus. They looked at certain church leaders and said, man, my allegiance is there. It's higher than Jesus, just like you and I might struggle to do this with our political party. And then also we're going to see they had allegiances to their nationalities over Jesus. And so let's check this out. So 10 verses in, we find this problem. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's house have informed me, oh, Chloe was the rat here. Chloe ran into him in Whole Foods and told him what was going on, that there are quarrels among you. Verse 12, here's the quarrel. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. So what's Paul saying? Or what's, what's Paul saying here? He's saying, hey, I, I don't know what's going on there, but, but I'm hearing that some of you have an allegiance higher than your allegiance to Jesus. Just like you and I can struggle with when it comes to our political parties, they're doing it with church leaders. And so Paul had this following, the back row, loved Paul, because he started the church. And so they're all about Paul. And so they say, hey, we follow Paul. And then after Paul left, this other guy, Apollos, came in, and he was this really gifted, eloquent, wise teacher. Everybody loved Apollos. So Apollos was, you know, the Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley, John Piper, Matt Chandler, Stephen Furtick of his day, Tim Keller of his day, and he was in there, and everyone was eating up everything he said and just in awe of his ability to communicate so well. And so some people said, hey, I'm about Apollos. And then we find Cephas, and Cephas probably refers to the disciple Peter, who would have been like a rock star. Are you kidding me? He saw risen Jesus back from the dead. We follow Peter. And then the last group gets it right. 
Some of you say, I follow Christ. I follow Christ. And that's the term, everybody, that we have to hear learn in science class to bring into our current discussion. Okay, yeah, I voted for a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or a libertarian or whoever I voted for. But I follow Christ. Yeah, that's important. But I follow Christ. And I view the world like Christ wants me to view the world, which means it's individual by individual. It's individual situation by individual situation. It's individual person by individual person. Yeah, I had to vote for somebody. I think that's important. I don't agree with everything they say, but I had to vote for somebody. But I follow Christ first and foremost. See, that has to change how we view everything else. So verse 13, he goes on and he says, Is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? And Paul's making a great point here. He's, he's talking to the third person, first of all, which I love. And then he goes, Was I crucified for you? No, I wasn't crucified for you, so why are you following me, Paul is saying, right? And I think we have to kind of bring this over into our conversation for today. Was, was Trump or Hillary crucified for you? Some of us want to crucify one or the other of them, but were they crucified for us? No. So knock this off. Paul's going, some of you guys have like a Republican party going on over there. We've got the Apollos crat, the Cephas crat party going. No, it's about Jesus. Knock this off. First and foremost, say, I follow Christ. Then he says in the next part, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Right? When we do baptisms next Sunday, we're going to have a tank right here, and we're going to get in and celebrate some people saying, I want to follow Jesus, right? And I'm not going to baptize anybody in the name of Paul. It's all in the name of Jesus. Paul's saying, stop off this, you know, knock off this Paul worship. Then it goes on in verse 14, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And I guess Paul, as he's dictating this, this letter and it's being written down, he remembers, oh wait, I, I baptized some more people. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's what I'm about, Paul's saying. Number one thing to me is that people see Jesus. The loudest thing about me should be what they see about Jesus. And then he says this, You know, I came to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And and like I said earlier, Apollos was this great communicator who was probably incredibly wise and eloquent. And so he might be taking a little bit of a shot here at the Apollos-crats in Corinth. Okay, going, I know some of you guys are kind of swept away by this guy Apollos and his preaching, but I just want to let you know, I don't want the cross of Christ to be emptied of its power. Then it goes on, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. I love that. Because here's God saying, okay, find me the smartest person, the the smartest, most intelligent man or woman you can find. My way is different. And you have your great leaders and you have your great communicators. And today we have our, our politicians and they have some wisdom and they have some intelligence. I mean, any candidate you can find out there is smarter than me, no doubt about that, right? But God is saying my ways are different. I have a different lens. Verse 20, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so we look at the hot topics of our day, abortion, LGBTQ community, less fortunate people, different racial 
tensions, people from other countries. We, we see all this and, and we tend to look to the human wisdom. And we forget, wait, I've got to look through this through the lens of Jesus. So then Paul brings up another group of people that these people struggled to have an allegiance higher than Jesus too. So verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness, I sound like Landon, the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So, so what's going on here? Well, the people have a higher allegiance to their nationality and their ethnicity than they do to Jesus. And so you have the Greeks and the Jews, right? And they're both kind of like all excited about what tickles their funny bone, right? The Jews were all about signs and wonders and miracles. Show me miracles, show me miracles. They were miracle chasers. And then you had the Greeks, and they were all about philosophizing and wisdom. And so they'd sit around and stroke their long beards and say things like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear the sound, does it actually make a noise? And furthermore, if a man is speaking in the forest and his wife is not there to hear him, is he still wrong? Just another thought. And so they were into all this wisdom and trying to figure out all these deep things, you know. And Paul says, guys, that's not what it's about. Look at verse 24. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's saying, guys, you have an allegiance to your ethnicity, your, how Jewish you are, how Greek you are, your philosophizing, your, your miracles. I'm telling you. It's not about that. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. I follow Christ. That's what you and I are to ultimately have our allegiance to. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now this is said tongue-in-cheek. God has no foolishness or weakness in him. But even if he did, he'd be that much wiser and that much stronger than the strongest of us all and the wisest of us all. And so here, Paul is making things real clear, man. That the attitude you and I are to have is not an allegiance to a person. Not an allegiance to a group of people. Not an allegiance to our ethnicity. An allegiance to Jesus. And that, listen, so powerful. That is to inform the way we interact in every other instance. That is to inform how I treat someone who's less fortunate or who is thinking about having an abortion, or who is in the LGBTQ community, or is from another race or country. That I follow Christ. That's what informs it all. And so what I hope you're hearing today is that the Paul way, Peter way, Apollos way is not the way. The Jew way, the Greek way is not the way. The American way, the Republican way, the Democrat way, the conservative way, the libertarian way, all the other ones. That's not the way. Jesus is the way. And you and I, are to have the attitude in all of our interactions with people, I follow Christ. I follow Christ. So if you want to talk with me about what I think about these things, then, okay, maybe I voted this way in the election, but i got to find out what Jesus thinks about these things, right? Like, that's the priority here. I have to figure out what Jesus thinks about all these different issues that we are talking about here today. But I follow Christ. That is the bottom line when all is said and done. And so now, science class ends, bell rings, take out your lab books, and now we're going to apply. Okay, great. So now I know the new lens I'm going to have is I follow Christ. And now I'm going to look at the world through that lens. And so let's do that. Let's dig in to the hot topics of our day. And these are some incredibly 
intense, deep, huge topics that I'm going to summarize quickly. And, and here's what I know. I am not going to exhaustively cover all these topics. They could all use at least their own message, if not their own series. But what I can do is give you a snapshot of what Scripture has to say about it and what I think Jesus would say about each situation. And I hope it's a conversation starter for us. I hope some of you here tonight will be willing to dialogue with me or you'll be willing to hunt deeper into what you believe about these different things that we talk about here tonight with the lens I follow Christ. And that's how I view the world around me. And so no matter how you're going to vote on November 8th, we have to come here and say, all right, Jesus, how would you handle these different hot topics of today? So let's start with the first one, which is abortion. We're going to look at Psalm 139. And some of you who know your Bibles might be saying, well, yeah, but that's the Old Testament, so that's not like Jesus talking. Well, here's what we need to understand, is that Jesus inspired all of Scripture, right? And we need to understand that literally Jesus is called the Word. He's called the Living Word. That's actually why the name of this church is Living Word, because he's called the Word. And so anything you find in Scripture, you can see the inspiration of Jesus on. So look at what it says in Psalm 139. This is David talking back to God and praising God. Look at what he says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And so here is the psalmist reflecting on the intricacy and the power and the beauty of what God has designed in the womb. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus would always fight for the life of a child. And I believe that abortion breaks the heart of God. But in the same breath, I have to say that Jesus would love someone who's had an abortion really well. Jesus would look somebody in the face that has had an abortion or look a man who maybe pressured his wife or girlfriend to have an abortion. He would look them in the face and say, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are loved and you are forgiven. And so if you're here tonight and you've had an abortion or you pressured someone into that, then know tonight the freedom and the grace of God. It's not his heart that you walk through life beating yourself up. But what do we do if we're talking with someone who has had an abortion? We are full of grace and love. What do we do if we're talking with someone who's thinking about having an abortion? We try with everything that's in us to help that child survive. We do all that we can to help that child survive. And here's where the Christian church has been really bad. We are known for being angry and in people's face about this subject. We are not known for helping people find another option, right? We're known for our signs. We're known for being, you know, outside abortion clinics and all that. And I'm not saying necessarily that all that's bad, but what I am saying is, is what if we were outside the abortion clinic saying, hey, we'll take the child. or We'll help you find a place for the child. Or you know what? We love you and God loves you and God loves the life of that child that's in you. Like actually coming up with another option. I think that's what Jesus would do. I think he would fight for the life of the child, but I think he would do it full of grace and full of truth, full of love and full of compassion. And so what do you do? Well, you're talking to someone and talking about having an abortion and you know what you do? You, you call me because my stepmom runs Soundview Pregnancy Services in Center Reach and, and out in Nassau County. And her whole mission in life is to rescue children 
that were going to be aborted and help them find a home and care for the mom and help them through the pregnancy and provide finances and provide um, resources so that the, the woman doesn't have to go down that road. It's you and I saying, hey, either I'll take the child or I'll find someone who will. It's you and I fighting for the life of that child. I think that's how Jesus would handle that option. What about the next one? Racial tension. People from different backgrounds, ethnic, people from different countries. How would Jesus have us interact with these people? Again, this isn't a Republican or a Democratic or a conservative or a libertarian issue. This is a Jesus issue, like all these are. We're in lab. We're, we're looking at everything through that lens of I follow Christ. Well, I think of the story of the Good Samaritan when I think about this. When I think about the racial tension in our country, when I think about uh, what's going on with people from other countries and interacting with our country and all that, I think of the Good Samaritan. Because here's a story where some of you will be familiar with this, some of you won't, but Jesus is telling this story about what it means to love his neighbor. And he's telling this story about a man who is on his journey and he's, he's beaten by robbers, he's left for dead, and, and two religious people walk by, right? Two people who should have come to this man's aid. And it says in Scripture that they crossed the other side of the street. And my understanding of this road that Jesus was telling this story about is that it was so tight that they would basically almost have to step over this man's bloody body laying on the street to get past them. And what does Jesus say? So the first two religious people pass. And then we look and find in Luke 10, verse 33. But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was. Now listen, we don't understand the power of this because when Jesus said the word Samaritan, his whole Jewish audience would have gasped because the Samaritans and the Jews were enemies. They were least like one another. And so when Jesus says, you know what? The priest walked by, the other religious guy walked by, the Samaritan stopped. The enemy, the one who was least like him, the one who nobody wanted anything to do with, stop, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to put him, to put, uh, he went to him and bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. This is you and I picking somebody off, off the side of the street and put him in our car today. Brought him to an inn, bringing him to a hospital, bringing him to a motel, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus asked this great question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. What does Jesus say here? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I think that's how Jesus would handle the racial tension, the ethnic tension, differences, the people from other countries. It would be to reach out. It would be to say, what can we do? Now some of you might be like, this is a little bit extreme, Doug. Um, I mean, I'm not really necessarily going to find someone on the side of the road that I can pick up and put in my car. Yeah, but maybe it's way simpler than that. Maybe what we don't understand is that sometimes the words that come out of our mouth are like daggers to people that are from other countries that are other races than we are, that are, have different ethnic backgrounds. Maybe there's a lack of sensitivity in us, and we just don't realize it's the loudest thing about us. And no one will ever want our Jesus as long as this hardness and this coldness remains toward the people least like us. So Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go the extra mile. Go and care. Let it cost you something. What would it look like? for you to reach out to those who are least 
like you. And so we love well. We extend grace. We extend all that we can to go the extra mile to reach the people that are least like us. We're extremely sensitive about how we talk and about these issues as, as maybe we're very sure we're going to vote this way. But if we vote this way, it will really affect someone we love and care for, maybe in this room tonight. And so we're really careful about how we talk about it. And we're extremely sensitive about where they are. The next one, how would Jesus look at the LGBTQ community? How would he interact with them? What would he do? What is his definition of marriage and and relationships and transgender and all this different stuff that's going on in our world around us? Let's look at Matthew 19. Jesus asked some questions about divorce. And in this conversation, he says some things that are really powerful for us here tonight. And so Matthew 19, verse 3, says this. The proud religious law keepers came to Jesus. They tried to trap him by saying, does the law say a man can divorce his wife for any reason? He said to them, have you not read that he who made them in the first place made them man and woman? I think this is a really important place to stop. Because I think this shows us that Jesus, God, created you male or female on purpose. And his plan is good. And that if he created you male, that you should remain male. And if he created you female, you should remain female. That it's on purpose and it's a good plan of God. Next, it goes on, verse 5, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and will live with his wife, and the two will become one. And again, I think Jesus clearly defines marriage as between a man and a woman. And if, if you look at the first century, Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, right? And if he had been pro-gay marriage, then he would have been the only rabbi around that was. Because the Jewish rabbis believed that God had designed marriage to be between a man and a woman. And then you say, okay, well, let's look at other places in Scripture. Is there another place where maybe we find another way or we... Here's the thing we find. Genesis through Revelation, we find that homosexuality is never right in the eyes of God. And so I think Jesus would say, I designed you male or female. And marriage is between a man and a woman. But in the same breath, I have to say, church, and we really got to hear this, that Jesus would love the LGBTQ community really well. And I think we've been really bad at this. Jesus would extend grace. He would love. He would get to know them. He'd be eating dinner with them. He would be hanging out with people who are transgender. He would be talking and having dinner with people who are bisexual or gay or lesbian. He would be involved in their lives. He would be reaching out to them. He would be full of grace. And eventually he would get to the truth. And that's how you and I are to interact as well. That's what this world needs so badly. Are people who are going to say, I love you. I'm going to invest in you. Whether you are going to change or not, I'm your friend. And here is what I believe is right. And here is what I believe is God's design. And listen, this is so important that we understand. We're not just saying this because God's way is right. God's way is is best. And we don't always understand this. In fact, there are times as I look through scripture, I'm like, man, I kind of wish that verse wasn't in there. I kind of wish, you know, I I, I wish that these principles weren't in the Bible because they're difficult. I haven't slept in a long time, guys, because I knew tonight was coming. I knew today I had to preach this all day long. I don't get up here and say this easily or arrogantly or like I have this all figured out. 
I say this with some fear and trembling. But I believe the heart of God is clear. And so, if you're here tonight, and, and I, I'm, I'm sure there are people in this room tonight that would say, well, I'm gay. I, I, I've thought about transgender. I, I'm not sure what to make of it. Or What do I do? What do I do? You do the same thing I do. You do the same thing I do. We run to Jesus together for salvation, for transformation, for his work in our lives. And some of you might be saying, but Doug, I have woken up every day of my life feeling drawn toward what you're telling me now is not God's design. And here's what I could say to you. I can relate. I can relate. You know why I can relate? Because every single day of my life I've woken up and there's been a draw in me towards something that is not God's design. There's been a draw in me towards something that as I open up God's word, it says, that's not the way that you're to act. And so all of us together, level plane, we run toward Jesus, our hope, our savior, our forgiveness, our redeemer, our transformer. What do we do as Christians when we're talking with people who are in the LGBTQ community? We love them well. We extend grace we have friendship with them. We eat with them. We, we go to ball games with them. And in it, we show them the love of Christ well. And we're full of grace and we're full of truth. This is so important and so necessary in our day. The last one, helping the less fortunate. What would Jesus say about this? Well, I believe Jesus would definitely have a heart for those in need. In fact, In Matthew 25, Jesus shows us this picture of one day all of us standing before him and him basically saying, okay, Christ followers, here's how you've you've gotten it right. And this is what the picture looks like. Let's check out verses 35 and on. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, and this is so powerful, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so Jesus is saying here, hey, when you care for somebody, when you provide shelter or food or clothing or hook them up with a job, or whatever it might be, it's as if you're doing it for me. And so we're to see those that are broken and those that are hurting and those that are less fortunate around us through that lens of, wow, I'm doing this as if I was doing it for Jesus himself. That's the heart that you and I are to have. Now, I think Jesus would also say to somebody who's lazy and not working, maybe taking advantage of, of somebody, work. Work hard. The Bible tells us, you don't work, you don't eat. So I work, right? We got to get up. We got to work hard. But for those who maybe can't, or for those who are trying to get back into it, or for those that are so broken or addicted, we got to help them make some steps, right? And so I think it's the heart of God that we get them some food that we buy them a night in a hotel when we can, that we maybe even bring them into our own home, that we maybe have a connection, we can help them get a job where they can begin to support themselves and get back on their feet. We help those who are less fortunate. And so, Science Lab's over, guys. And I hope tonight you've seen 
That first and foremost, we're to say, I follow Christ. That's the attitude in the heart of every situation. And this is how you apply it. You just saw it. We applied the lens of I follow Christ to all four topics tonight. To abortion. And to those who have had abortions. To, to those who are maybe planning on it. To the racial tension. People from different backgrounds and different countries. and How we are to interact in love and grace and sensitivity. To the LGBTQ community and to those who are less fortunate. So now there's like a billion more issues, right? And so now we look at all those issues and all those people. And this is so important. I think sometimes we, we use this word issue and really God is saying, don't look at it as issues. Look at it as people. These are people that are less fortunate. These are people that are in the LGBTQ community. These are people that are thinking about abortions or have had them. These are people that are less fortunate or from other places. And so you and I are called to say, I follow Christ. I'm going to look through that lens. And we get out there. We vote in six and a half weeks. Over the next six and a half weeks, do your homework. Figure out who believes what. And by the grace of God, we make the best choice as we look through that lens of I follow Christ. But Jesus is our Savior. Not Hillary and not Trump and not anybody else. And some of you 100% disagree with all of what I've said tonight. Some of you 100% disagree with a section of what I said tonight. But you know what? That's okay because something bigger unites us. And that's the point of this whole message. Is that you might disagree with me on several of the things I said or all of them. But, but if we agree on Jesus, then we continue walking down the road together and growing and talking and debating and, and, and discussing. And that truth that Jesus unites us is why we can have Republicans and Democrats and Yankees fans and Met fans in the same room and we haven't all killed each other yet because something else unites us. And so if I'm wrong about anything I've said tonight, I hope at the very least I've inspired you to ask this question. How would Jesus handle this? How would looking through the lens of I follow Christ impact my decision-making, and how I interact with people. And if you and I will decide, okay, we're going to begin to live this way, with this attitude of I follow Christ, then here's what's going to happen. I can tell you, I can predict the future, so to speak. You know what the future holds for us? We're going to win people to Jesus. If, our, if Jesus is louder in our life than our politics, we're going to win people to him. And we're also, we're going to handle the situations and the people behind those situations the way Jesus would handle them. And here's what I want you to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, the next step I want you to take, the way I want you to respond to this message tonight is, I want you to pray and think about the person it is hardest for you to love. Is it someone that had an abortion? Is it someone who performs abortion? Is it someone of a different race, from a different country, from a different ethnic background? Is it someone in the LGBTQ community? Is it someone who's less fortunate? Or is it someone I haven't even mentioned tonight? And ask the person you begin to say, God, I'm going to look at the planks in my eyes here. I'm going to ask you to change me. Change the way I interact with this person and this type of person. And help me to be full of grace and truth, love and compassion. And if you're not a follower of Jesus tonight, the loudest thing I want you to hear is that Jesus loves you. That he died for you on the cross. That he rose again. That's the starting point. You see, here's what I need you to know. Some of you here tonight are saying, I don't know that I could ask Jesus to be my Savior, Doug, because I don't know that I can agree with 90% of what you said tonight about these issues. And what I want to tell you to do is start with Jesus. 
Start with Jesus. There's no one in this room that put their faith in Jesus and suddenly was like, okay, I believe with everything the Bible says, Genesis through Revelation. Some of you in here tonight are like, I don't know if I can believe in a seven-day creation. I don't know if I can believe in what you said about the LGBTQ community. I don't know if I can believe what you said about abortion. Start with Jesus. Either God loves you so much that he sent a Savior to die on a cross and remove your sin, raise back from the dead, and desires a relationship with you. Or, there's a lot of issues that we're all worked up about. I want you to explore Jesus. Figure out if that's true. Because if that's true, then that's your starting point. And like I said earlier, you could take the evidence CD set or the visitor CD, and I hope that'll help. I'm around. I purposefully scheduled myself off the prayer team tonight so I could talk because I want this to be a conversation starter. If you're upset with me tonight, let's talk about it. Let's work through it. If you want more information about my story and what it looked like for me to say, wow, I think Jesus can be trusted, let's talk about it. But I would love for you to put your trust in him tonight. And if you're a Christian, let's keep that lens. Work this week, school this week, neighbors this week, family this week. I follow Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are good and that you love us and that you are full of grace and truth and that there's nothing like you and no one like you. And so God, as we work through all that we've talked about tonight, we just come humbly to you and we ask that you will lead us into more and more truth. God, that you will help us so much when it comes to all the people that we've talked about tonight, all the different types of people that maybe we struggle to love and that the church has failed at reaching. God, would you help that change? Would you help us to stop doing things backwards? So be with us, God. So if you're a Christian, can you take a minute? And can you pray about the person that's most difficult for you to love? And would you let the grace of God and the transforming power of Jesus work in your heart? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to respond to him tonight, I would encourage you to pray something like this just quietly between you and God. You just say something like this, Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting me, forgiving me. God, I don't know what I believe about all these topics brought up tonight, but I pray that you'll just show me how real you are. And I pray you'll make a huge difference in my life. And I thank you for the grace, the love, and the compassion that you have on me. Help me, God, to learn more and more what it means to say, I follow Christ in your name. I pray. Amen.